0: Today is going to look a little different as we are going to be worshiping through the names of Jesus in Revelation and talking through them and reading through them and there's a lot of them and so we're just starting right from the beginning and the whole morning is going to be worshiping through these names. I just want to jump into, like I said, what we're doing this morning and worshiping through the, the names of God in Revelation. It's interesting because Revelation we know is the end of the book, Right? The end of the Bible. It's the end of the story. It's what gives us hope of a future because we, we see how God is going to work in eternity. We see how, how the end happens. What's also interesting is the book of Revelation has more names of Jesus than any other book in the Bible. And, and that's, that's a, a really fascinating fact because Jesus is how victory can happen. His work on the cross is what enables us to be saved enables us to have hope and so we want to read through some of those names 25 of those today but we've grouped them into groups and we'll be worshiping in between them and and reading the verses so a little bit of a cross between a reading service and um, a little bit of, of commentary understanding each name but my hope is that you come away seeing the victorious lamb being confident that jesus is still on the throne he is still king and we can trust him what an appropriate week to talk about that, isn't it? As we, in the news, have seen yet again another um, battle from ISIS, another terrorist attack or multiple terrorist attacks in Paris. And our hearts break as we see the news, as we see the lives lost, the needless lives lost. And as horrible as this news is, this is not the time to lose hope. Christianity is not losing. In fact, this shows that this world needs Christ more than ever before. And these people need our love more than ever before. The problem isn't a military problem. The problem is is a Jesus issue. That they don't know Jesus and they need to know Jesus. This is a time to pray for the church in Paris, the church around the world, that they would be able to share the gospel, that they would be able to share the love of Christ. It's a time to step up efforts to reach a needy, desperate, dark world. So I'd like to start right before we even jump into Revelations by praying for Paris, praying for the world that desperately needs Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, we look at the news and sometimes it just looks like Satan's winning. And we see people that are deceived by Satan in bondage to sin acting in ways that are in rebellion to you, Lord, and it's hard not to lose hope sometimes. But, Lord, we know that you are king, and you are the lion and the lamb who was slain. And, Lord, we know that you want all to worship you, and you want all to come to you. Lord, I pray for the church in Paris. I pray for the church around the world that is battling on the, the front lines of the battle against terrorism, against hatred towards God. Lord, I pray that they would stand firm by showing the love of God by showing what it means that Jesus loves them, that there is a God that is the true God that is near that wants relationship with us. Lord, empower the church around the world today, even this morning as we worship, that they would be proclaimers of the one true King. Lord, we give our morning to you as well as we worship you. And may this morning be an incredibly encouraging time of worship, of us offering our praises to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to to Revelation one one. We're just going to read the first couple verses and then get back to some worship. Revelation one one. And this morning, I encourage you to have your Bibles out, and we're just going to go through Revelation. And I encourage you to follow along and underline if you want and highlight. But this is a story that is written. This is a book that is written to a church that was under persecution. Nero has already happened, and the the, the devastation on the church and the the fear of the church has already happened. And so God paints this picture in Revelation of a victorious Lamb to assure the church, to give peace to the church, to give confidence to the church. We're going to walk through Revelation and see 25 different names of God that serve as a picture of Jesus, rather, that serve as a picture of the Lamb who was slain for this world. We see a picture that no matter the circumstances, personally, nationally, or globally, the Lamb reigns. And we take peace and assurance confidence from that so let's grab our bibles see the picture revel in the savior trust the lamb in revelation 1 1 the revelation of jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john and right there the fourth and fifth words the primary names of jesus jesus christ and that's who this book is about it's his revelation how he is working And we know, we saw that Jesus was the personal name of of the second person of the Trinity. He was a real person. He walked on this earth. He ate. He got dirty. He got tired. Because God is near. He is not far off. We saw that Jesus means Yahweh will save. One way or another, all will bow to the name of Jesus. He is God. Paired with Christ, we see the Anointed One, a title that shouts Messiah, Our Savior come to overturn the kingdom of Satan, which is what Revelation shows us will happen, and draw us into eternal life with Him. Salvation didn't look like they expected it. It wasn't the the conquering king that would, through war, wipe out the Roman infestation. But it was an offer of spiritual freedom. The name of Christ would ultimately be fulfilled in a cross and an empty tomb. And we praise Him. Praise be to Jesus Christ. That's how the book starts. It's who the book's about. Revelation 1 1 starts with Jesus Christ. And the whole first chapter goes where you would expect it to go. It dwells on the character and person of Jesus, who God is, his authority, his power, his glory, his credentials. Listen to some of the names of God. Let's read verses 4 through 6, the names of Jesus. Grace to you, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. We see that God is intending this book to bring peace, to remind us of his grace. And then verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion. Forever and ever. Amen. And we see names of Jesus starting to come right here, and they just come fast and quick because he's, John is, is showing us an insight into who Jesus is. And we see the first one, the faithful witness. And it reminds us that the things that we are going to read in the, in the Word of God are absolutely trustworthy. Faithful means He is worthy of belief, He is worthy of trust, He is worthy of confidence. A witness is one who attests to the truth, who has seen truth and passes it on. It's interesting because the word for witness in the Greek comes from the word we get martyr from. And it recalls his crucifixion that he died to show us the truth. So the faithful witness will speak truth, absolute truth as he describes what is to come. He's revealing what he will do. It's a name that reminds us that Jesus is absolutely reliable and absolutely dependable. The next name there is the firstborn of the dead in verse 5. And we see um, three names here that that form um, a description of Jesus. The firstborn of the dead refers to his resurrection. That he was resurrected so that all those who believe in him, all those that repent and follow him, will be resurrected as well and spend eternity with him. He was the first, not just to be resuscitated into bodily life, but into a glorified body. And that's what we can look forward to. This gives us hope. This name is a, is a name of hope. Because if he is not raised, we will not be. But if he is, and we trust in him, we will be. Colossians 1.18 says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's hope, village. That's hope that He is first, that He is risen, and He promises that to us. It's hope as we face terminal illness. It's hope in a despairing world. It's hope in circumstances that we don't know that it will will ever end because we know how it ends. Jesus has defeated death. It has no power over Him. He is the firstborn from the dead. John goes on to say He's the ruler of the kings on the earth. The ruler of the kings on the earth, and it's a statement of His authority And sovereignty. All are subject to him. Every king, every power, every nation, every being on this earth is subject to God Almighty, to Jesus Christ. To the church that was hearing this, even Domitian, who was persecuting them, would be called into account. For us, it reminds us that even though we may not understand why things happen, God does. He's still sovereign. No one's going to surprise God, no nation's going to surprise God. He is working His plan. The sinful regimes will be called into account. Those that follow Him will be called to glory, and God will be glorified. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jump down to verse 13, and we're just going to skip through Revelation, but in verse 13, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, and John has this vision, and he turns, and he sees his Lord. He sees his Savior that he walked with on earth. And he calls him the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And this reminds us, as we've talked about Son of Man, some of these we've talked about already, but it reminds us that God is incarnated as man, coming with authority to accomplish his earthly mission. Son of Man isn't just that he's human, but that he's God, and he came to accomplish from the highest place his mission to bring us salvation. It's a statement of dominion and authority one we'll see later in Revelation as well as you read through Revelation. Skip down to verse 17 and 18 in the same chapter. This whole chapter is a beautiful description of Jesus' credentials, who he is. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." We should look at that and say, we have nothing to fear. The first and the last is the name for God now given to Jesus. It reminds us he is eternal. He is before all things and he is after all things. Nothing can kill him. Nothing will be supreme over him. He says, I have always been there. I will always be there. It's interesting because in verse 17, he ties fear not with I am the first and the last. And it's a reminder that Jesus is saying, I've got this. I've got whatever you're facing. I've always been here. I always will be. Trust me. To a church being persecuted, what a message. And finally, the next verse, 18, he is the living one. He is the living one. Praise God he's not still in the tomb. That would be a dead faith and a dead Savior and dead, lifeless religion. But He is not dead. The resurrection happened. He is alive. He is active in my life. He is active in your life. We do not serve a dead God. It's okay to say amen on that one. We do not serve a dead God. He was crucified in our place for our sins and on that cross. And then on the third day rose from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And by doing that gained victory over death, victory over the punishment of sin, No one else can speak for our future except the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. And continue looking at how God reveals himself in his word. From Revelation 1, we see a description of who God is, a beautiful description to remind us of the greatness of Jesus Christ, to point us to the Lamb. Now in Revelation 2 and 3, we come to the, the words to the seven churches. And we went through these on a, a series of sermons. But I've titled this section Truth. Because now that we've established Jesus' credentials, now He begins to speak truth into every situation. He has the power to write and authority to rightly judge, to speak that truth. And so throughout the seven churches, we see some additional names. Some of the same names, but some additional names um, used. So flip over to Revelations chapter two, very next chapter, verse eighteen, and we see the Holy Spirit inspiring His word, and John writes, "And to the angel of the church at Thyatira write the words of the Son of God." We see another name of Jesus that's used here: the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like the flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. When we see Son of God, this reminds us of the deity of Christ, the authority of Jesus. He came to save and to completely change and transform our lives. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a wonderful man. He is the Son of God with all authority. The church of Thyatira needed to hear that. We need to hear that. Flip to Revelation 3.7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And we see two more names given to Jesus here, the Holy One and the True One. And Holy One, we've talked about, it means to be consecrated and set apart, altogether other. Jesus is completely sinless. He is completely pure because He is God. But holy also refers to being set apart for something, consecrated for a task. And He was given the task of coming to bring salvation, to die on the cross in yours and my place, to pay the penalty for our sin. The sinless, pure One is able to speak to that sin because He paid the price for that sin. He is completely worthy. The true One, He will always speak truth because He is truth. Lying is contrary to His character. He will not lie. We can trust everything He says. The Word of God is under attack these days. But this is absolutely the Word of God in every word, in every jot and tittle. We can trust it because Jesus is the pure One. He is the the true One. When He promises He will be with you, He will be with you. When He promises a future, an eternity with Him, He will be with us and provide for that future. Skip down just a few more verses. Revelation 3.14 And to the angel at the church at Laodicea, and we know they were struggling with being lukewarm and, and not being on fire for God and thinking they didn't need God, but and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And we see three more names of Jesus there. We see that He is the Amen. And amen, you know, we just said amen, but it means that's true. It means let it be, let it be so. This is, this is the truth that we want to affirm. And Jesus is the affirmation of God's truth. He embodies God's love and affirms God's love. He embodies God's grace. He embodies God's desire to save us because he is God. He's the affirmation that God is intervening in a Genesis 3 world. As a human, that He will pay for our sins and we should follow Him. In that same verse, He's the faithful and true witness. And we talked about that above, reminder that He's dependable, absolutely true. And all He says is, as John here is combining several words that we've talked about. There's a whole lot of things vying for your attention. If you don't know Jesus today, there's a whole lot of things claiming to be truth, claiming to give peace, claiming to give hope for a future. There is no hope apart from Jesus. But there is all hope in Jesus. And the last verse, the last name goes with that, the beginning of God's creation. He is the first over all things. He is preeminent. Some translations translate that He is the ruler of God's creation. And that's a great translation. He created all things, and so He is over all things. And so He has authority to speak truth and to bring about the end that He desires. Chapters 2 and 3 give a whole lot of other descriptions that we wouldn't call names of God. But we see descriptions like He who holds the seven stars in His right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, or the words of Him who has the sharp two-edged sword, the words of Him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We read just now, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will be shut, who shuts and no one will be open. These two chapters in the names of God here reminds us that Jesus has authority to speak truth. He speaks truth into our lives, and he is to be preeminent over all things. But turn to Revelation five, just over a couple more chapters, and we, we get to the middle portion of Revelation, and, and what do you think of when you think of Revelation? What's what's the first things that come to mind? What? Confusion, okay? apocalypse okay we think of the apocalypse destruction and wrath and mayhem and and certainly it is a story of god bringing sin to its knees and conquering over sin but my thought this morning that i want you to think about and you can argue with me later that's fine is that that's actually not the main message of revelation it's a description of what is happening But the main message of Revelation is that God wants people to turn to Him. And as you read through some of those events, you read at the end of them sayings like over and over, and they still didn't turn to God. A righteous God must show wrath on sin. He must deal with sin. But Jesus is doing what He's doing to try to turn people to Him. To say, see, this is the result of sin. This is what I've done for you. In Revelation 5, 4 and 5 and 6 through 10, this section we see several more names of God that, that I think identify with the whole middle section of Revelation. I've called this section Rebellion, Sacrifice, and Justice. The Lion is the Lamb who was slain. And we start reading in Revelation 5, and I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look at it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more because the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And we see that and John would have been expecting that. He's like, finally, the lion's coming on the scene. We think of lion as the king of beasts. He symbolized greatness and power and might. We looked at this as a name of God, of Yahweh, conqueror and victor. And so you could see John saying, okay, finally, the wrath is coming. Finally, the kingdom's going to be set up that I wanted with the roar of authority, with the coming judgment. And so we see descriptions, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and and the Jews would have understood this as, as a king in the line of David, and that's the very next name, the root of David, a descendant of David, a rightful heir to the throne, one who would set up an eternal kingdom, And we still have to read this understanding the expectation of a military king. Of a king that would free them from the rule of the Romans. And so we get to the end of that and the very next verse, verse 6, you can picture, now the elders have said, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, speaking of his death on the cross, so that he can open the scroll of the seven seals. And so John starts to look around. Okay, let's look at the lion. Let's find him. And you see, this is a core section in Revelation because we read on in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns and seven eyes. Okay, maybe a, a little bit of a weird lamb. Which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. No, that's just imagery that's, that's talking about his authority. And... But John looks around for the lion and he sees a lamb. And just in case we, we mistaken it, oh, maybe it's a really big lamb that's still going to wreak havoc on the earth and deal with sin. And He says, no, it's the lamb that has been slain. And this name for Jesus in Revelation becomes the predominant name that's used of Jesus in Revelation. Far more than any other name, which is why I would argue this is part of the core thought of Revelation. 29 times Jesus is called the lamb in this book. See, what what Jesus is showing John is that the lion is the lamb. The lion conquers by being the lamb who was slain. There is no other conquering of sin. There is no other way that we can have life in Christ. There's no other way our sin can be paid for unless you and I die and you and I are slain. But the lamb became the atoning sacrifice in our place. And we talked about lamb, that it represented the perfect sacrifice in our place to atone for sin. He paid the price so we wouldn't have to. So we would not fall under the wrath of the lion. But we have to accept Him. We have to come to Him. And so the story of Revelation is that the Lamb provides a way out. He provides a way to not be under the stories that we're going to read in the rest of the book. To not be under the wrath. He's given us everything we need for eternal life. In in. A, in in, in such a minuscule comparison, but I, I think of sometimes Susie's worked hard on dinner and maybe a couple hours on dinner, and we sit down at the table and one of the kids said, oh, I don't like this. I don't want to eat this. Oh, yeah? <laughs> she's provided. She's worked hard. And that that that's rebellion, that insolence to say, I'm not grateful for this. I won't participate. That's so minuscule compared to Jesus coming as the Lamb that was slain died in our place. And then a world saying, oh yeah, I don't care about that. I'm not going to follow that. See, the wrath of the lion is only because people don't accept the gift of grace that God is offering. The lion conquers by being the lamb that was slain. As you see in, in, in that verse there, the The verb for slain is is a what we call a perfect tense in the Greek. And it's an interesting word that means it's a past action that continues to have effect on us today. And and Jesus is saying, because I died, because I was slain, that was a, a past action that conquered death. But now it continues to impact you today and change your life today because now I give you victory. I give you victory over sin and over death and a life in me. This is part of the story of Revelation. I'd like to to finish this section before we worship about the Lamb just by reading a number of verses in Revelation. Just listen. If you want to look through them as we go, you can. But I'm going to start by reading the rest of this passage, verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. to ransom a world to Him, to have people from every tribe and nation worshiping Him. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on the earth. In Revelation 6:15 6, and 16, and Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. See, while the point is the Lamb who was slain, it doesn't excuse the wrath for those that reject the Lamb. Revelations 13.8, speaking of the, those that follow the beast and, and think that the beast is winning, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, and everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of, the, of life of the Lamb who was slain. In Revelation 17.14, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. And you see, He is the Lion and the Lamb all at the same time. Revelation 19.7-8, and 8, let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. In Revelation 21:22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation 7.17, we see another name for Jesus, but it ties into the Lamb. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And in Lion and Lamb, we see this combination of a conqueror that will execute justice on sin, but a Lamb who gave us a way out and paid the price if we will just follow Him. And He loves us and wants us to worship Him. He wants to spare us the wrath, but He will do with sin. And so lion and lamb is the central theme of Revelation. In Revelation 5, I end with this as we come and worship the Lamb. Then I looked... and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped the response to the lamb is worship and so we've worshiped the lamb and we come to the end of the story we come to the the end of the book and the lamb is the one who is worthy the lamb is the one who offers salvation for all and Throughout the middle of Revelation, we see the tribulation and and God's wrath starting to pour out on sin, but each trying to turn people to the Lamb. And we get to the end of the tribulation and armies come up under Satan to fight the Lamb. And the Lamb destroys them. It's about that quick. (laughs) And the millennial kingdom set up. And at the end of the millennium, we see the same thing. And we see Satan loosed and he deceives people again. And this army comes up against the Lamb who is now riding the white horse and he defeats them again because that's how the story ends. And God sets up a new heaven and a new earth. As we end, I'd like to read through the the names of God or the names of Jesus rather at the end of the story. The victorious Lamb, the victory names starting in Revelation 17, 14. We see several of them there. And they will make war on the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them for He is the Lord of Lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Oh, may we be the called and chosen and faithful. And so we see Lord of lords, that he is master of all. We see complete ownership of all. We are to completely submit to him. Lord of lords means it's a superlative saying he's lord and master over all other people that think they're master. I think we can use the word bestest here just for fun. I I haven't made up a word yet today. Let's go with bestest. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He has conquered sin. He rules over the eternal kingdom. And these are names that we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2 that He is above all authority. There is no king on earth that is greater than God. And then in Revelation 19, we see several more conquering victory names of God. Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And Jesus is coming on a horse of of victory rather than a lowly donkey this time. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, the end of the story is God will deal with sin. The Lamb makes an offer but then sin is dealt with. And it will be dealt with by a Savior on a white horse that wages war on the evil one. You see several names of God there. You see faithful and true, which we've talked about. He will do what He said. We see the Word of God, that Jesus is the special revelation and communication of God's character. It's His rescue plan, and this is the end of the rescue plan where Satan is defeated. You know, so many movies we watch, they come to a climax at the end, right? Some grand battle at the end and, and the victory is, is won by the good side or Death Star is blowing up or whatever, however you want to go with that. It, it's how we're wired. We want to know that right re- prevails. Well, it does. God prevails and Satan is wiped out. We go on in Revelation twenty two thirteen, and we get to the last chapter of Revelation. And it's a reminder of what we saw at the beginning. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the A to the Z. He encompasses all things. He is everlasting. He never changes. He is eternal. He is the author and finisher, and this is how He finishes it. And it will be done. He is redeeming creation back to Himself. And in in those last few chapters, we see a new heaven and a new earth with no tears and no pain and no suffering and no sin. And it's as He intended it to be. And finally, at the very end of Revelation, Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, more names that we've seen, the bright, the bright, morning star and i love this name i i hadn't really explored this name before preparing for today but in in ancient times the bright morning star which was venus would come up right before the sun would come up and it would herald a new day and so they viewed the bright morning star as bringing in a new hope bringing in a new dawn what a wonderful description of jesus who is the lamb who was slain so we can part of his king we can be part of his kingdom And He gives us the new heaven and the new earth. Eternity with Him. It's a new dawn. It's at the end of the movie, the sunrise coming up. You've seen it. It's like, this is great. This is how it ends. This is why we have hope. This is why we can believe and trust God. My encouragement to you today is to believe. To believe. Will we be facing in eternity the lion and his wrath, or will we, be, will we be looking on the lamb saying, Thank you for your sacrifice? The only way that this ending is hopeful is if we repent of our sins and give our lives to Jesus Christ and come to him. Revelation's a devastating book if you don't know Christ because it says the end is destruction. But if you know Christ, this is hope that gets us through every situation because this is greater than anything we will face. Today, if you've never made that decision, I implore you to take these names of Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe. I repent of my sin. I know I have junk in my life. I can't save myself, but you died on the cross for me, so I believe that you have died. And I accept your sacrifice and I follow you. Then this hope is yours. I'd like to end by standing and singing one or two more songs. I don't, I don't remember how many we have, but... Let me just read as the worship team's getting ready the names of Jesus we covered today. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth, the Son of Man, the first and the last, the living one, the Son of God, the Holy One, the True One, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain, the Shepherd, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, faithful and true, the Word of God, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the bright morning star. He is our Lord Jesus. O oh Lord God, We proclaim that You are the Lamb who was slain, who gave Yourself in our place for salvation. And Lord, we worship You. We give our lives to You. Help us to respond not just by going, Yea, God, but by giving our lives to You in everything we do, by desperately wanting a lost world to know You, by desperately seeking Your Word and wanting to live for the Lamb. Lord, that is a price I can never repay. And so I owe You my worship. I owe You my very life. Use me, God, for you. Use us as your body, as your church. Thank you, God, for hope, hope of eternity, for confidence in our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.